Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week, Danny and Mauda Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and I'm jo- joined by my future CEO, um, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is not easy coming up with these literally, literally Every, on the literally. fly. Literally, bro. Literally. Anyone who works with me who's listening to this is like, oh my gosh, Danny does it too. <laughs> like on Maybe the fly every time. Listen. Literally says literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But no, it's not easy, man. It's not easy to be coming up with these adjectives, son. You know? Son, daughter. <laughs> All right. So, um, look, let's just get into the announcements real quick. We have an amazing show. This show is just so awesome. Like, the book that we're going to talk about is awesome. Um, and amazing. Gosh, I mean, like, I'm not Second surprised. Second time back, right? This is a Second friend time, of the show. Friend of the show. And you know what? Honestly, I'm not we surprised. Do something special for no, we're gonna have to because now I said it on air. But we should do something. Well, special we have for a few our, people that have been on. Judy's been on yeah, a few for times. Our special, you know, friend of the show. Guest. We have to have like Anthony back on. Anthony? We have to have Anthony back on. What am I saying? Oh, we have so much more to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. We need to talk about angles. health freedom. The camera angles are they get me every time. What? Which ones? I it's so professional. What his? Yeah, like his camera angles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's killing it, man. Hey, listen. Uh, Anthony Jcast, check out the Anthony Jcast on YouTube. It is freaking awesome, guys. Like, it's imagine Stephen Rennell, except even more engaging for your kids because he like explains things in a way that a child can can listen and and, and understand. And he has his kids there a lot of the time. Yeah, we totally can. Um, so, look, quick announcement number one: um, we have the Low Carb Hustle podcast. I really want you guys to listen to that podcast it's been getting great reviews my love you should see like okay, just the feedback a promo for our well yeah <laughs> you totally will maybe we should talk about this when we're not if recording Adam's listening to this it's done <laughs> yeah he's like all right he already thought of like three reels yeah three reels like he's got like a whole setup going already a costume. yeah <laughs> so um yeah lowcarbhustlepodcast.com um where myself robert sykes and adam shibley uh, talk about all subjects um, related to getting lean, getting strong, and getting paid. We got some really cool resources coming up for you guys for aspiring entrepreneurs. We have um, our game show episodes are awesome. The look, the the actual interview episodes are great. We love to have a lot of fun, and I, you know we are the funniest low carb podcast. Yeah, for sure. We are the funniest one. We 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 are the best low carb comedy podcast in the world mm-hmm. let's not let's not you know Dude, have five star reviews. let's not talk about like how many low carb podcasts reviews? there are but what yeah five star reviews yeah we have lots of five star reviews but we could use a lot more we could use a lot more you know one five star review can feed at least one robert <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's gonna feed me but robert yeah, could could not. robert can do very well with a five star review when he's prepping believe <laughs> <laughs> more than one yeah so if you guys like what we're doing over there and listen if you guys like what we're doing here we got a, a lot of really yes. good reviews 
if you don't like what we're doing here, give us a review. Like, I, I want to know. Like, seriously. Hey, give us a five-star review. Give us a five-star review and then tell us the then truth your, your in, in the comment. Yeah. Because, like, not giving us a five-star review kind of sucks. You're right, my love. That's not good. But, like, nobody's perfect, so just let us know. Yeah, so let us know. in a loving way. Yeah. If you're into what we're doing. If you like what we're doing. If you're not, there's this thing called don't subscribe. <laughs> but... I don't think you should do that because no. our podcast is awesome. And honestly, and like dynamic, we have something for everyone here. We do. And you know what? Like this episode is yet another example of how, how are these facts that we're talking about on this episode? Not Incredible. more well-known, you know, we have someone who is a type one diabetic who um, has had his own health struggles, who's had to become a, uh, an expert in the heart. And, you know, he kind of is more caught up on his reading than cardiologists. So anyways, who, who are we talking to? So this week's guest is Dr. Stephen Hussey. He's, you know, you guys have heard him on the show before. Uh, Stephen is a doctor of chiropractic, fun- functional medicine practitioner, speaker, author, and health coach. He helps people create high-performing hearts and specializes in helping those with heart disease, type 1 diabetes, and autoimmune conditions. Dr. Hussey works with a variety of clients, from in-person to online coaching. He is also the author of a book called The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is a Key to a Vibrant Health. And in this episode, we spoke to him um, all about this book, and it's got some really great stories in there, so we're really excited for you guys to hear it. Um, Understanding the Heart, Uncommon Insights into Our Most Commonly Diseased Organ. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a quick minute to talk about our sponsor, Keto Brick. As you guys know, I have been around since the very beginning when it was just an idea, when Robert was getting ready for the show that took him pro and he needed something to help him hit his macros. And I've seen it grow into the company it is today. Um, Just so proud of my friend and I'm so proud of the company he's built, the people he's been able to help as he has several people who work for them. And so he's actually helping people make a living doing this now, which is just unbelievable and so inspirational to me. If you don't know what Keto Bricks are, they are shelf-stable fat bombs, for lack of a better term. They are 1,000-calorie bricks, and they have great ingredients. They have ketogenic macros, usually like 88 to 90 grams of fat with 30 grams of protein, and then the carbs are anywhere from 9 to 14. Super low-carb, super keto-friendly, and you can do all types of cool stuff with them. I tell everybody my favorite is keto brick cereal. I chop it up into little chunks and serve it with a bowl of cereal with uh, almond milk or goat milk, which is my favorite. They have several flavors. They now have vegan and whey options. So they have the whey protein peanut butter as well as the old school pea protein peanut butter, which either one of them is easily in my top two go back and forth between those and the toasted almond coconut so definitely go to www.ketobrick.com get yourself some bricks and use vega for a chance to win a whole month supply of bricks so we are speaking to the world's most interesting man (laughs) previous guest friend of the show dr stephen hussey how's it going man pretty good thanks for having me how you guys doing we're doing good yeah, we're we're happy to have you, man. I'm so this book. I I told Mauda this book is freaking awesome. Like seriously, I I was like telling her like just the stories, uh, the travel alone, the travel alone, you know, mm-hmm. and and the yeah. way 
um, you relay them, you, you relate them to like these misconceptions and these, um, the way we, you know, we have these obsessions with like one variable. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think people are going to love it. So uh, first of all, we always lead off with the question, uh, you know, in case it's changed since the last time we talked, you know, what is the most critical problem you're currently trying to solve? Um, oh, man. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think handling my own stress um, for me yeah. that because I've been through as, as everybody has, but this year has been, this past year, 2020 was, was rough for me. Um, and uh, I think it came to a head, uh, at the end of the year. And, um, and yeah, I think that, you know, I, I want to say things like how I can help more people and stuff like that. But at some point, I think I need to, to stop and say, I need to handle my own stress. That's the biggest thing yeah. for me right now, because if I'm not well because of that, then I can't help anybody else. Wow. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I got to tell you, like, my, my aura data That's my, has my been... My biggest issue, I feel like, too. Since <laughs> May, stress. June, like, I'm talking about... I used to be in the 60s to 80s. Mm. 40s is good now. Like, I'm I'm in the 20s. My wow. resting heart rate is higher. My yeah. my breath, my you know, my, my respiratory rate. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I'm trying, but it's it's weird. It's just <laughs> like, you. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm on that same problem, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and relating it back to, you know, this book and everything and uh, there's a study that came out in july that uh stress-induced cardiomyopathy is way higher than it was pre-pandemic um and pre-2020 in general so um so yeah i mean that's concerning and i think that it it shows that you know heart diseases we t everybody talks about it as cholesterol and red meat and all that kind of stuff but it is way more than that and i think that um you know it, it gets ignored uh, all the different factors that play into heart disease yeah, I can totally see that. It's been it's been a year, that's for sure. And you just feel it everywhere you go too. I feel like most people like it's just everything's changed. So yeah, yeah it's even like an like, adjustment. It's weird to like be on a run and have people kind of like looking at you suspiciously <laughs> and like backing away from you. It's like really weird to, and like I I'm chill, you know, like yeah. but I'm like I, now you're giving me anxiety that you're being this way again, you know, towards me. Why are you this way? <laughs> Why are you the way that Why you are? Why are you the way that you are? Exactly. I've never, I've never felt like anxiety going into a store, you know, um, yep. because oh, maybe yeah. I'm doing something different than, than other people are doing. It's just like, well, where did, yeah. that's us. Where did so this obvious. come from? That is like, how did this happen? You know, that's what, it's just scary. And then it's also like probably even worse when, you know, you're coming from this side, like of all the people, like it's just the irony of all of it, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. someone who's in focus. a wheelchair because they're metabolically very unhealthy at Walmart, like putting, like not really concerned about their health, looking at me like I'm crazy, <laughs> right? Like yeah. giving us dirty looks because we're not wearing something, you know, like that we should be wearing. So yeah, it's just, and yeah, the anxiety, it starts like for me, I don't even like to go anywhere. Yeah, but um I do it's like in the, the parking errands. lot and mm -hmm. i only go certain places that i know like oh yeah this place they know me like they won't they don't bother right. me we're lucky to be where we are too which is nice because when i have to go to miami for example but even walmart like, like ah. we had just come back from miami on <laughs> monday and we went to walmart to pick up a few things and all of a sudden <laughs> a woman chases me you. down the aisle to give me a, <laughs> like, a, a mask and i was like no i'm okay i'm socially distancing like that's part of the our mask mandate if, right, if that's even right. a thing a mandate but like 
you know, if you can socially distance, you don't have to wear a mask. Yeah. And Walmart already stopped that policy because people were stabbing each other inside yeah, of Walmart. To protect their employees, they, they actually said, you know what, we will assume, don't talk to people. Don't, don't ask anyone. Yeah. Because I think someone got hurt. So this wow. woman gave me a mask. And, you know, yeah. now I just really like, you have to just be like, okay, thank you very <laughs> thank much, you. you know, and, mm -hmm. and take, take it, put it in your pocket, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's fine. Because trying to fight yeah. it, I think fight it too much anyways, it's just going to create it's worse. a bad situation. No, and and, and everybody. at the same time, you don't want to be a jerk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The whole situation is crummy because it's like the poor employees too. Like, yeah, they didn't sign up for this. They did not sign up right. to be the police of their yeah you know they're just they, they were given that role and it's just like and and some of them you can tell they're like over it like they're just so, they're so breaking sick out they're like, like her friend is breaking out on you know on her face because yeah, yeah. she has to wear oh, it because yeah. if you have to yeah god forbid you actually need to work and you have to go work for someone else it's like you have no choice you need the job so you're even if you don't want to yeah well crazy times anyways <laughs> let's talk about more exciting things yes, like your absolutely. like your new book okay we've been reading your new book understanding the heart uncommon insights into our most commonly diseased organ and we loved your analogy on why it's been so difficult to get clear information on heart health can you share the story about your hike of the appalachian trail and how it relates to the diet heart hypothesis yeah so um yeah, so like it, before each chapter i've kind of introduced the chapters with little stories about myself just whether that's from my childhood or from just experiences I've had. Um, and I try and relate that to the upcoming topic in the chapter. And so um, this one, I believe, is chapter five. And I'm getting to the end of a, a very um, long part, one of the book, where we go through pretty much the history of, of life on Earth. Um, and this gets to the very recent history of um, uh, the die-hard hypothesis that was formulated in the 50s and 60s. And I tell the story about where I went hiking with um, my cousin and a friend of ours. They were hiking the entire Appalachian Trail, and I just skipped class a few days and, and went out and hiked uh, three days with them. And at the end of it, uh, we stayed on this place called Max Patch, which is just a bald mountain because a long time ago they cleared the trees on the mountain um, for cattle to graze. Um, but now you get to see great views of, of uh, um, uh, Appalachia. So, um I stayed with them that night on that mountain, and then the next morning they went and kept hiking, and I had to go meet my girlfriend in the parking lot of, of Max Patch, and it was just, like, super foggy. Like, I could see maybe 10 feet in front of my face, and I ended up walking um, up and down the trail trying to find the sign for the parking lot or the trail to go to the parking lot, and I couldn't find it. And so I walked up over the top of Max Patch, back down to where we camped, um, back up the trail, like followed them a little bit and I just couldn't find it. And the only thing I saw was the sign in the, uh, on the trail that was, it was, um, parallel to the trail. So if I'm walking down the trail, the sign is, um, it's where I have to turn my head to the side and, and read it. And, and it said, you know, Max Patch Summit this way. And it said loop trail this way, loop trail that way. And then I, I sat there, eventually I sat down at that sign. It was just like, I'm gonna have to wait for this fog to clear to figure out what's going on. And, um, as I was sitting there, I thought it was weird because I've done a lot of hiking in my life. I thought it was weird that the sign was placed like that. Usually a sign is at a trail junction and there was no trail junction in sight. And I was like, well, maybe this is a trail junction. And so, you know, kind of boldly, I just got up and started walking straight away from the sign into the fog, knowing that if I got turned around, 
I may not be able to find my way back to the original trail because it was so foggy. But eventually, like 20, 30 um, yards, I'd say, there was a there was a wider path that looked more like a road. And I was like, oh, maybe this is the way I'm supposed to go. I just kept walking down that. And eventually, you know, quarter of a mile later or so, I found the parking lot. Um, and it was just, it was, I was a little bit stressed out. I was like, man, I'm never going to get off this mountain. Um, and I couldn't call my girlfriend because there was no signal up there. Um, but it was just, it was a uh, interesting experience. And I, and I related it to the diet heart hypothesis because I was hiking all over that mountain, trying to figure out how to get down. And it was only when I sat down in front of that sign that I started to think about that rather than just hiking everywhere, trying to figure it out. And it's, it's similar to what happened in the fifties and sixties with Ansel Keys is that they move forward with a hypothesis on that cholesterol and, and saturated fat causes heart disease before they sat down and actually did the work um, and figured out if it was or not, or if there was a, a clear, you know, causal effect from, from those things. And then, I talk in the book about how when they did test those hypotheses with all those studies they did um, in the late 60s um, and early 70s, um, there was no correlation. Uh, and there was the people who they replaced saturated fat with unsaturated um, like margarines and vegetable oils and things. And the people who ate those had higher rates of heart disease. And the people who ate more saturated fat um, you know, had less rates of heart disease. And so they did test them out. But by that time, the theory that they already moved forward with the theory and it was too late and that's just what we've known ever since yeah um you know it's it's so weird because like it it permeates everything and like um you know for example like i think it's the same thing with the cholesterol you know you, you talk about the the cholesterol and um i have two people really close to me one of them is a little bit more computer literate than the other and they both got their their labs and they both want to send me their labs one of them um, sends me screenshots of every single part of the labs, which at least I can get A1C and um, mm -hmm. like, wow, this person has amazing genetics because they don't eat great, but it, they, yeah. the longevity in that side of the family is just from the history oh, yeah. and just from what I know, the person doesn't do any much activity, but like HDL in the 60s, you know, high cholesterol, it's a woman. So that was like, you know, cardioprotective, low, tri low triglycerides, low triglycerides, like 60-something. Yeah. And the other person is now only sends me one screenshot, doesn't know how to screenshot the rest of it, but is trying to brag to me about one thing. And it's this 156 cholesterol. And I'm like, you're taking a statin, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm just like so upset because I've talked to this person a million times. Tonight. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, look. You're trying to, you know, because this person wants me to congratulate them. I'm like, tough love. I'm like, all I see is that your triglycerides are like 10 points higher yeah. and your HDL is like five points lower. What else is going on? You know, and then just this week, uh, hey, buddy, you know, got a client who's lost 40 pounds in 60 in six months. Uh, cholesterol came back high. What should I tell them? Should they fast? And and I'm just like, well, fasting is great for you. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, you know. I know that there's there's that one study that that shows that LDL skyrockets when you fast, yeah. and it's like, you yeah. know, uh, I know that there's other ones that suggest otherwise, but I don't I don't know if I believe those. But you know, you talk about in in another chapter, uh, you talk about this trip to Amsterdam during Christmas, and you know, I would love to just hear that little story. But then, just kind of again relate it to the way, you know there's this obsession with one variable yeah. and yeah. then all of a sudden it's accepted 
and there's no big picture like we were talking before we started recording like what is the person's you know uh hba1c what is the person's hc hscs crp did they get a, a coronary calcium scan we don't know any of those things um and they, they, they don't know their triglycerides they don't know their their hdl and then all they hear is high cholesterol and they're thinking i'm a failure That's, i did something wrong i need to i need to change my diet yeah um yeah and and i even at the the end of the book um i talk a lot about this about how um flawed a way of thinking it is to to look at one variable um and almost in a sense that you know in a way our our research methods are fundamentally flawed because they're designed to eliminate all variables and test one and that's great for getting a result on on you know that research um, study or whatever but i am a human being and i am never in contact with one variable at one time so it's really hard to extrapolate that to a human you know we can tell that you know maybe a certain compound has an a, effect on a cell or something because we isolated all the variables or isolated just one variable um but that's never going to be the case for me or you or anybody, you know. Right. Um, and so I think that you know, it's incredibly myopic to look at just LDL. And, you know, this is something that, you know, um, I harp on a lot because we have to look at everything in context. And so I, um, yeah, this, this uh, one Christmas, my wife and I went to uh, Amsterdam um, to meet up with uh, her brother uh, and, uh, and his wife uh, for Christmas. And um, we stayed at this hotel, and it was this newer hotel, and they were trying to do things, I think, to, you know, get people's interest and stay there. There was only, like, I think I think there was, like, 14 rooms or something. I can't remember exactly. Um, it's in the book, though. Uh, and so they, they set up this little, like, um, this little, like, treasure hunt kind of thing where they hid candy canes in your room, uh, and you had to find them. So they gave you the first one at the front desk, and it told you about what was going on. You went into your room, and you had to find all the candy canes. And so each candy cane had a clue that would um, lead you to a combination for the, the safe in the hotel. And there was a gift in there. And so we went in there, we immediately started finding the candy canes. We found uh, the three and it was four combinations on the safe or four um, digits on the safe combination. So we were like, okay, we got four. Um, and so we looked at the clues, we figured them out. Um, there were things like, you know, how many bar stools are in the, in the breakfast area or whatever. Um, and so we found those and we entered the thing and it said, you know, denied. And we were like, what? You know, so we tried again, denied. And then I looked back at the clues, made sure I got them all right. Tried again, denied. And then it said, now you can't try again for 30 minutes because the safe, I, I put three wrong combinations oh in. And so we were like, whatever. We had to go to dinner. Uh, we had to meet her brother. So, um, we went to dinner, came back late that night. Um, and I just kind of forgot about it. I was going to stop at the front desk and be like, Hey, it's wrong, you know? And, uh, we came back and, uh, we went straight to bed next morning. I woke up and I go into the bathroom. I'm standing there using the bathroom and I look over in the shower and there's a candy cane in like the, um, in the little, um, whatever you call them, the handle where you turn the water on. And, uh, and I was like, what? There's a, there's a fifth candy cane. And so I go, I take it out. There's another clue. Um, I come out of the bathroom and I put them all together. The first, the first thing we got was not a clue. It was kind of like a fake thing. Um, and it kind of, I, I kind of, uh, almost, almost imagined that it was a clue. 
Um, and so there was four other candy canes and I looked at those and they gave us, you know, all the, the, the right combination, opened it up and it was like a, this box of chocolates that I don't need anyways. But, um, uh, it was, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was a fun little hunt and it was good for the hotel to do that, I think, but kind of goes to show that, um, we can't really, like we're talking about, we can't look at, um, um, one variable, um, or not have all the information. You know, we need all the information before we can get it right. Um, and and so, yeah, I think that, you know, the body, first of all, the body is a, is a complex biological ecosystem with many, many, many different variables and many different things that I don't think we're ever going to understand. Um, and I completely accept that. Um, and I think that to, to whittle it down to think that there's one number in this vastly complex biological ecosystem can tell you whether or not you're going to get disease is extremely short-sighted. Uh, right. And I think that the dangerous part about that is that people ignore everything else that they should be paying attention to um, when it comes to risk factors for any disease. And this, you know, focus on LDL has been the biggest distraction ever uh, as far as heart disease. And so I guess you know, I'm not, I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not, a, I'm not a cardiac researcher or anything. This is just something that's personally affected me. And so I, I researched a lot on it and decided to put it all down. Um, but I think that we need to, we need to open up the conversation to about, about, and that's what the book is, is about is opening up the conversation so that we can talk about those things that do need to be paid attention to when it comes to, um, reducing the risk of, of heart disease. And we talked about one of them. I think the stress has been just completely ignored. Everybody knows it's there knows there's associated risk with heart disease, but as long as your LDL is okay, you're told that, oh, you're doing good. And it's just like, no, we need to pay attention to a lot of other things. Yeah. Let me just say something. For, um, for anybody who hasn't listened to our first episode, I, I, I encourage you guys because uh, Dr. Hussey talks about his you know background with uh, type 1 diabetes, and um, I didn't even know that the, the things that they were recommending for children, what you mentioned to us, which was crazy. <laughs> So uh, definitely listen to that. Um, and what else? There was one more thing that, that I thought was interesting about that. Um, maybe, it, maybe it'll come back to me. But yeah, that, that's just, I wanted every, everybody to know why he's so invested in this, um, in this subject. So um, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, an advantage to not be in the research because like you said, like, it's like we're not a closed loop system. There's no there's it just it doesn't work and this is why i love your work and this is why you know out of all the quote-unquote experts um one of the people just because he's an amazing human being too but uh one of the people i admire the most is um dr baker you know mm -hmm. because he just mentions why okay so what like this this doesn't tell us anything like we can't pretend like we know something because of yeah. this new thing like it's interesting we should be if we call ourselves scientists, we should be saying, yeah, that is interesting. Right. Very definitely interesting. Let's, let's look into it more, but we make these, um, these declarations yeah. and it goes really, really well with another thing that you and I have been talking a lot about, which is how we, our tendency is to, um, psychologically is to, is to search for ways to corroborate our BS yeah. and not take responsibility. Mm -hmm. because it's really really hard you know and i mean nobody wants to feel like 
notice we didn't say blame. We just had someone else and we talked about the difference between blame and responsibility. Yeah. But it is your responsibility and it's much easier to, to go to an expert. They tell you what to take. They give you a, you know, it's almost like going to the, the priest and getting absolved of your sins, you know, like, right, right. you know, and, and it's, it's much more involved in that. And I think we should be moving back towards a culture of responsibility so that we can know more and, you know, just, just do more, take more responsibility. So good stuff. I just had to add that. Yeah. And it's a great segue. Well, what he was saying about LDL and, you know, the obsession of it. And we went into it more in depth on the last, on the last episode, but just really quickly, because some of uh, our listeners might be hearing you for the first time. Can you just talk quickly about the functions of cholesterol and specifically LDL? Because it's interesting how most people, even doctors, even lipidologists, even lipidologists, um, you know, we've had Nadir Ali on here and he said like his colleagues, he'll, mm-hmm. he would ask them, what is the function of LDL? And they wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's hugely important. And again, um, it's there for a reason. Uh, it, it wouldn't be there if it was just there to kill us, you know. Uh, and people argue, you know, well, yeah, at, at normal levels, whatever normal is. Um, then it's fine. But if it gets too high and to me, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why would the body, you know, do something, um, that's kind of, um, somewhat out of our control, you know, it makes cholesterol, it can absorb it. It has, you know, uh, methods to, um, put phytosterol back into the, um, digestion to it. So we excrete it and absorb more cholesterol. Like why would it be doing those things if it was such a bad molecule for us? Um, so yeah, it's got a lot of functions. I mean, uh, cholesterol, like LDL, is a is a, a protein. It's a, a lipoprotein, and its main job is to package things up and carry them around and deliver them to um, the body, uh, to the cells. And so, mm-hmm. it carries things like energy, fat soluble vitamins, um, all kinds of things. And so, um, one of the so because cholesterol um, is like the backbone of all of our sex hormones, uh, it's very important for uh, making all of our sex hormones. And Nadir Ali that you mentioned, he always says that women would not be as beautiful and men would not be as handsome without cholesterol. Um, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll steal that quote from him. Um, but okay. it's also, yeah, it's also, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it carries the fat soluble vitamins. So if we don't have enough LDL around, we're not going to have those fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, which are very important. Um, it is, uh, essential for the communication between cells. And this is something that I could go off on a tangent on because I've, I've made this comparison. I did it in, uh, in my first book, the health evolution. I made this comparison where like, if your cells become so damaged or don't have the correct structure, um, to be able to communicate with each other, they become isolated and they start acting like, uh, they would in isolation. And so you can, ex- you can extrapolate that to, okay, if the cell is not communicating, then this tissue is not going to communicate to the body, then the body, that body, that person is not going to communicate with others well. And it's just, you can kind of see what happens to people when they become socially isolated. Um, they start acting uh, and doing things for themselves rather than for the community. Um, and I think that you can see that biochemically uh, on, a, on a cellular level as well. Um, so there's that, there's, um, there's all kinds of things and I'm blanking right now. Uh, all the things <laughs> that, that cholesterol does, uh, energy. So Dave Feldman has, has, has made this, um, his, his main model is energy delivery. So it's full of triglycerides, which are things that we burn for fuel. Um, it, 
Oh, yeah. So insulin um, receptors, uh, the health of insulin receptors. So one thing that um, I think we should point out is that, um, you know, when your body makes cholesterol, um, it is like a 20 step process that it does that. And um, and there's lots of different uh, intermediate molecules that are transformed or, or made during that process that eventually ends up being cholesterol. And so when you take a statin drug, you're blocking that process very early on um, in, in the process. So you don't get any of the intermediates uh, between that uh, and cholesterol. And lots of those intermediates are important for things like the making of antioxidants, um, the selenoproteins um, that make up glutathione and things like that. Uh, very important to making endogenous antioxidants. Um, but also uh, dolichol, uh, one of the intermediates, uh, or one of the, what's made from one of the intermediates is dolichol, and that's really important for insulin receptors. Uh, and so if you don't have enough cholesterol around, you're more prone to insulin resistance, or um, not like pathologic, but you're just more prone to the insulin receptors not responding as well. Um, so there's so many different roles. I mean, again, it wouldn't be there um, and it wouldn't be uh, made by the body if it wasn't super important. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and, and just so, you know, I know that it's the, the Dunning-Kruger effect because, you know, so many people don't study things enough. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, I do not know a lot of stuff. And, and, and like, you know, just in case someone just tries to equate the analogy between what you said, it was like, you know, the person said, oh, you know, but it can't be too high. That's not equivalent to sugar because sugar is only being made when it's needed. And the reason why people's sugars are so high is because they're consuming all of this sugar. Mm. So, um, so I just wanted to make that, um, that distinction. There's a big difference. And, you know, you mentioned insulin and, and that's the other thing that, that Dave Feldman has been just so good, you know, with his own journey understanding why the heck is my cholesterol so high you know why is this happening and creating that you know that whatever type of that you want to call it with that the you know the lean body hyper responder as you see insulin resistance you know get better and as you see insulin sensitivity improve uh in a group of people some of them have high cholesterol i have a 390 cholesterol the last time i checked you know but my HDL was like in this, you know, high 60s and my, my LDL was in the 70s, you know, so I'm just like, man, I'm just mobilizing a lot of fat. And, and, and the fact that Dave has spent so much money on all the, yeah. you know, all the testing and <laughs> like, you know, I told my buddy, I said, listen, if your friend has, if it's like something that's actually necessary for work, just check out Dave Feldman's work because you can get within five days, you can, you can swing that baby real oh, yeah. a bunch you know that's the other reason yeah, why the thing. It's like you can change it overnight yeah, yeah like yeah. one of the people that i spoke to they were like uh i said why is your eight why is your a1c 5.7 well i i had a, i had ice cream the night before i'm like yeah it doesn't work yeah, that way that's no. not the a1c is three months you know yeah <laughs> so um yeah and i think that that's one right, lesson so... i learned from dave feldman is, is you can change things very quickly which i think is super important yep. because ultimately yeah. I define health as the ability of your body to adapt adequately to things, and so yeah. and, and yeah. this just, that just illustrates how um, how much our body can change, you know, from day to day, um, and how um, uh, it, it, how important it is for the body to be able to adapt to different situations. And if it can't do that, you've lost you've lost health. 
Yeah. I love, I, I just wish I could, because when I studied, when I got my master's, um, uh, my advisor was the, you know, he was the cardiac research guy. And obviously I thought he was really cool. I took his cardiopulmonary pathologies class. And from what I remember, epigenetics absolutely was not in the conversation. Hmm. Um, but from what I remember, it basically came down to if you got a good endothelium, um, you know, you can, you can um, withstand anything, you know, and if you have a bad endothelium, you can't. And the problem was that there wasn't that parsing out of your genetics are not the final determiner of the health of your endothelium. You know, mm -hmm. epigenetics can change that. You can, you can improve the health of your endothelium. So, um, so that's, that's something that I would love to go back and see like, man, have you, have you updated your stuff? I mean, this was 2005 and 2006. Mm -hmm. So long time ago, but, um, all right. So, yeah. So let's talk about again, because we, we, you know, we know that it takes lots of repetition to, um, for people to really understand things. And we know that's probably why, you know, the, the typical person will say, Oh, but doesn't that have like, thank God cholesterol is no longer, you know, you don't see low cholesterol anymore because mm -hmm. people, uh, in foods, at least they know that cholesterol doesn't, the cholesterol we eat is not affecting it. Um, but we still have the issue with the saturated fat. I can't believe it, but we still do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's why people have, you got to just tell them things over and over. And like, we've had to accept this because we're like this question again, but then we remember people are coming on to this. So, uh, I, I would love for you to talk about one of the most original, probably the most original thing that you've brought to the table is the, the, the true functions of the heart. So can you talk about the true functions of the heart? Yeah, yeah, and, and these are these are what I I think the true functions of the heart are, and, and I, these aren't my ideas, um, but I, I'm trying to bring them out to be more you know known um, ideas. But um, another person who talks about this is Dr. Thomas Cowan, um, and um, and he got he got it from others as well, mainly like Rudolf Steiner, which is he was a long time ago, 1800s, um, and then there's um, another doctor, I don't know much about him if he's still alive or, or I know he's an anesthesiologist or was, his name's Branko first. And, uh, he wrote a book, uh, called heart, the heart and circulation. And it reads like a 200 page research article. So if you're into that kind of thing, then go for it. But, um, he's, he's really gotten together all the, all the research that does suggest that, um, the main role of the heart is not as this pressure propulsion pump. It's not this thing that's moving forcefully moving the blood throughout the body, um, and that um, it is not the main mover of blood. Um, it does a little bit of pumping, and it does move the blood mainly just through the heart. Uh, it pumps the blood kind of through the heart, but there's no way, if you look at things, that the heart could be the reason that the blood moves throughout the entire body. Um, it's just, and there's even, um, you know, scientists from way back in the day when they first started studying um, the cardiovascular system that were like, you know, we would need, if we wanted that to happen, we need a heart the size of a whale to make that happen, you know. Um, and even um, William Harvey, who wrote uh, Dumont du Cordis, which was like the first description of um, the uh, movement of blood throughout the our system, said that he wrote to a, a colleague of his, he was like, I do not believe the heart is the fashioner of the blood. Um, meaning the mover of the blood. And so he didn't even think that, that was the case. Um, but somewhere along the line, it, it became that the heart is 
this pumping thing, which it does pump. And maybe that's why it's assumed that it's moving the blood like it is. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of research that shows that the heart is not the main mover of the blood. So then you start to ask yourself, well, why is it there? What, what is the heart? What is its function? And I think the heart, ha the heart has two main functions. Um, and one of them is to spiral the blood, uh, to vortex it, so to speak. Um, because when you, when you vortex water, which the blood is half water, in the presence of oxygen, and the blood is oxygenated, even the, the venous blood is, has oxygen, um, just less than the, the, high, or the oxygenated blood coming from the lungs. Um, but when you vortex it in the presence of oxygen, it energizes water. And so this is, goes into the conversation about, you know, Gerald Pollack and Gilbert Lang and the fourth phase of water and, and how water can hold energy. It's this unique fluid that can hold energy if it's given the right, you know, um, uh, if it's given the right things to, to energize it, right? Because, um, when water holds enough energy and it's next to a hydrophilic surface, a water-loving surface, like the lining of our arteries, uh, then it structures itself. Um, and so it, it basically becomes not a solid, not liquid, but this gel-like substance. Uh, and this has been proven to happen in um, arteries of animals. Um, so we can pretty much assume that it happens in our arteries as well. We're, we're animals. Um, and, um, and when that happens, when this the water um, is sufficiently structured around the lining of the artery, um, it creates an energy gradient because of the way the water is formed, and all this is explained in detail in, in the book. Um, and that create that energy gradient creates flow. Um, and so originally, when they were doing this, which is water, they would put these hydrophilic um, these tubes made of a hydrophilic um, uh, material into water, and then apply energy to the water in the form of infrared light and various things and the water would just start to flow. No pump necessary, the water would just flow through the tube. Uh, and so they showed that, now they've shown that this mechanism does happen in our arteries. And so if the blood is, you know, or if the water's properly energized and we have all these hydrophilic surfaces uh, in the arteries, uh, then the blood is mainly moving on its own. Um, and they've actually done interesting, like back in the 60s, they did these, uh, 40s and the 60s, they did these um, experiments where they injected tracers into animals um, and then um, and then killed them. And and after the heart stopped pumping and the animals stopped breathing, the blood continued to move for up to two hours. Um, so until that animal you know lost its its life force, till it was kind of drained from it, and there was no more energy to the system, then obviously the, it stopped. Um, so yeah. So if the, if the blood's moving on its own. For the most part, and there's you know contraction of muscle that moves blood to, and there's one-way valves in the veins that help you know push the blood along and keep it where it needs to go. Um, and like I said, the heart does do a little bit of pumping, but if um, if the blood's moving on its own, then what's the purpose of the heart? And I think the purpose of the heart, because of the way the orientation of the muscles in the heart are, they're they're uh, oriented in a spiral um, in a spiral yeah. structure, I guess. And so when they contract, the heart spirals like this. And there's various times um, when the blood is going through the heart that it gets vortex, it spirals. You know, like people think of it like uh, if you're uh, on a river and you're watching the water flow past a rock and it kind of spirals and eddies on the other side yeah. of it. That's what you think of. Um, 
And so when it goes through valves, it does that. When the heart contracts and, and spirals, it does that. Um, and I think that it's no no coincidence that the uh, the blood goes from the heart to the lungs to get oxygenated and then to the heart again to get vortexed again. So the the heart is vortexing the the water and the blood to keep it energized so that when it gets to the arteries, it can form that structured water and keep the blood flowing. So in a way, the heart is responsible for the movement of the blood um, in, in a way. But there's also things that we should do to energize our body to keep that blood moving. And so that's that's one function. The other function is um, is that the, the heart is there to maintain the pressure in the system. Um, it's placed right in the middle of the arteries and the veins because if we started working out, going for a run, whatever, all the blood would surge over into the, the tissues, right, to the arterial side, go into the tissues. And that's largely due to um, uh, demand of the tissues that the, the blood goes over there. And if we didn't have the heart there in the middle of it, all the blood would go from the venous side to the arterial side, and the venous side would collapse, um, and we would not maintain this pressure. And there's um, lots of experiments um, that people have done that kind of illustrate this. Um, the first one, I forget when it was, but it was by this guy named Weber, um, and he kind of recreated this model, this structured model of the cardiovascular system using a pressure propulsion pump. Um, and no matter what he did, he could not maintain the pressure in one side using a pressure wow. propulsion pump. Um, and because the fluid is supposed to flow on its own, it's not dependent on this pressure propulsion pump. And, you know, I, I talk about other studies in the book where um, they were they were trying to measure or they're trying to increase cardiac output, and they tried to do it by increasing the heart rate, increasing the amount of times the blood or the heart pumped. And, um, and no matter what they did, how fast they made it pump, they could not increase cardiac output. The only thing that can do it was was putting more fluid into the system. Uh, more blood into the system because it's dependent on flow. And so when we look at it that way, the heart, um, it acts more like a hydraulic ram, um, which I didn't know what that was whenever I first read that. I had to go on YouTube and find videos of what a hydraulic ram is, but hydraulic ram basically functions, um, it only functions when there's fluid flowing into the hydraulic ram on its own. Um, so usually a hydraulic ram is lower and there's water flowing from a reservoir up higher down into it, and that's how it functions. And so without this, um, the self-propelled mechanisms of, of the blood, then the heart wouldn't really function um, as, as well as it should. And so if we're not getting those self-propelled mechanisms going by, you know, sunlight and, and grounding and all this kind of stuff, then, uh, then we can put more strain on the heart and make it work harder than it's designed to. And that can, that can cause things like heart failure, I think. So, yeah. Um, for anybody who's thinking, oh, this doesn't make sense. Dr. Hussey has videos and just look at the videos. Like that's what, that was really, you know, um, just to sense. me, just to look at the videos. Um, and I don't even know, I have, I have to go look at your page recently. I don't know if you've put recently any, any of those old videos, but those videos were so compelling just to see how the heart does that, like in slow motion to see how it, how it does look that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was cool. There's a, there's a really interesting, um, uh, I don't know. I, I remember, I don't know what they're called, but it's just like some kind of 30 minute kind of show, like informational show. And it reminded me like, it's really cheesy. It was made in like 2000. Um, and it kind of reminded me of the nineties, like they hadn't, it, it was a low budget kind of film. And, uh, but they're talking about, you know, 
how the heart is a vortex. These, all these cardiologists and this one guy from Spain, um, uh, how he kind of discovered how the, the heart is folded on itself in the spiral orientation. Um, and it's on YouTube. Uh, I think it's, I can't remember what it's called, um, but I, I, I mentioned it in the book. Uh, it's really useful. It's like a 30-minute thing. It really helps you understand um, that, all that stuff, you know. And then there's images in the book too. I, people keep asking me if I'm going to make an audio book, and I say, well, like I'm going to guess eventually, but I do think that you're you're not going to be able to get it as well without the images in the book. Right. Um, some of these things. This is fascinating. So, okay, because here's my question. So, the the reason for the vortex is to allow the blood to flow more smoothly, to become more oxygenated, to get so if something is energized. Uh huh. To get energized. Yeah. So, okay, I guess because this is my question. So if there is someone that has like a heart defect where the blood is getting obstructed mm -hmm. through the through the aorta. Oh, you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. And let's say like they're getting like, you know, they go measuring it obviously, but it's getting obstructed. What would that do? Like what would be, what would that do to the, I mean, and this may, you may or may not know, but. Um, what would that do to the blood? Like, would it make it not, I guess, not pump? Because the, the problem with that, that could happen in the future, would be like spillback, spill yeah. is what they say. Right. Where it's all not going through. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, it, whoever that is, like, my recommendation is is infrared light. Um, oh, very. Okay, well, I don't mind saying it. That's my son, yeah. my oldest. He has, a, he has a heart defect where they go measuring that space mm -hmm. of, like, the, through the gradient, right? Or once it gets to a certain, and it grows with him, we've been very lucky that he hasn't needed any any surgeries yet. Because usually, supposed to. yeah, most children with this condition have had like two, and they don't want to do it too early because again, as long as they're growing, it's just like an extra growth that's mm -hmm. extra, that's there in the aorta that's blocking the. Yeah, and so. Well, I have a light, so that's very interesting. Yeah, so think about it like this. Light. So, um, the so, so think about it like the blood is moving through the atria, the ventricles, into the lungs and uh, into the left atria and left ventricle. It's doing that on its own. It would do that if there was Regardless. a contracting heart or valves or not, okay? Um, the reason I think that the heart is there and the reason that it stops things and then opens a valve and blood flows in is to, to build up enough pressure so that when it does contract, it vortexes it enough, right? Um, right. And so... Um, but regardless of if any of that was there, it would just be moving through. Um, and so if we, if, we, if we think about it as the heart is this pressure propulsion pump, which a pressure propulsion pump sucks in stagnant water from like a reservoir right. and then forcefully pumps it somewhere else, which is not what we right. see. You know, the heart is inserted into this flow of blood already. Um, then it would make sense to think that... that um, yeah, if, if the heart couldn't pump because there was this little defect in the way that we would get back up of fluid. And, and that may be the case if the mechanisms that create flow and maintain that flow aren't operating optimally. Does that make sense? But if we yes. do things to make sure that it, it is, then I, I don't think there's as much to worry about. Um, now, I don't know. I mean, that's a, a rare case, and it, who knows. But I can tell you that... You know, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't I don't treat heart disease, but I work with a lot of people right. and I help them get healthier. Um, and I just help them do things to get healthier. And I've worked with a number of people with um, significant heart failure. And I get them, they either bias on it or they find how to 
uh, get an infrared sauna or they that's we have infrared go sauna into and, the sunlight and or whatever and light. i've had i've had them reach back out to me and say hey my cardiologist told me that the size of my heart dropped 50 percent which in wow. heart failure is is incredible that is awesome yeah, yeah because in heart failure in congestive heart failure the heart expands it gets bigger right. um and so clearly we're doing something good for the cardiovascular system when we give that energy to the system so that fourth phase water can form in the arteries and we can get blood moving. And this is not just blood, it's lymphatic fluid. So if you want to detox, um, then that's really important. It's, it's uh, cerebral spinal fluid, um, everything we want. If we want it all to move, we need these mechanisms. Uh, and so that's, that's the number one thing I would say. Uh, that's awesome. Cause we have those things. Yeah. Well, and not only that, I, I just think Desmond, um, look, his water is structured AF. Like he, <laughs> like he, he eats like mostly ketogenic, if not paleo. I will say that, I don't know if you heard this, but his, his it's his birthday today. Oh yeah. He told me. Um, Wasn't so it he was yesterday. Chinese food. It was mine yes, yesterday. My water broke so on Danny's. Her water today. broke on my 30th. So when I, I like, turn 40, birthday. he turns 10. <laughs> um, and like, it was so cool to see because I passed on the gene, even though I don't have the defect. Yes. I had a brother who had the most yeah, severe plastic left heart. Yeah. So he syndrome. didn't, he didn't make it past two days. That was in the eighties. Like now, I mean, and I'm sure you, you study the heart, but now the children, they still have, it's still rough. Yeah, <laughs> They've yeah, got to yeah. go through it, but they have a better chance of survival because there's early detection. Like your parents didn't even know yeah. until the baby was born. Then there's symptoms. Yeah. But the, the, the other thing too, though, and we didn't know either genetically, but we knew after his, two years old, you know, EKG. I must have, like, forgot to mention something. Cause then remember they sent me, yeah, his two, at uh, his two, no, at his two years, pediatrician's appointment was when, when they she heard, heard when she heard the murmur or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's because he would cry every time he, we would take him, he would scream. He wouldn't bloody. let her put the and cold. He was, man, he was the happiest baby ever, but he would scream whenever the, they the, would the touch cold him. Stethoscope. <laughs> and so she probably couldn't hear it. Cause the kid was, yeah usually screaming when he was touching yeah. her. And so that one day on his second, he was finally quiet. And she was like, yeah, I hear it. She's like, and when he was three, for an echo. yeah, he, he, when he was three was when they, they, they took it to conference, 30 professionals looked at it. They said, no, not yet. And then as he continued living this healthy lifestyle, yeah, it was like, I can't believe, cause it was a given that eventually we were going to open him up and we right, were like right. mentally preparing. Yeah. For it's that. a simple surgery, but, but still, there's no, heart. yeah, they have to, crack his chest open they have to break the sternum yeah. but then she said two years later i can't believe i'm saying this but he's you probably know, fine he's not gonna probably need a, a surgery and he's through the roof with his growth like he is you know like that's that's a big to me very you know good sign that you know he he's the size of a 12 year old mm. he literally yeah. is a monster and um you know he does jujitsu he does he's very active um, so I'm glad you asked that, my love, because I think but that's, that's just what I'm thinking. I always think of that. Yeah. Like, Leave it to my wife to think about my son. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's um, really cool because it, it, it brings it home for you guys. But I, I just wonder, you know, because I, I just know that every, maybe not every single one, but most cardiologists, cardiac researchers would read that, like what I wrote and what Dr. First wrote and what Dr. Cowan's written about this. And they would just say, absolutely not. You know, and they would just dismiss it. It's just like, well, well, wait a second. Like, let's let's think about it and and think about yeah. cases like your son or other people with defects or with heart failure. You know, um, and and 
if we truly understood how the heart functioned, maybe there is a different way than we think we know, um, would that help us improve the outcomes in these people? And, and that's, and unfortunately that's not what they're thinking. Most of them, uh, or a lot of people and the people get defensive and that's just kind of a human nature thing. And they say, this is my realm, not yours. I should know more. What you're saying is wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I didn't write this book because I want to say I'm right and cardiologists are wrong. No, I just was trying to open up discussion and, and, and find the, the truth course. really. And, um, and, uh, and I just think that it's a shame because I think that we could get better outcomes and help people who are suffering with this, uh, these types of things. If we, yeah. if we were more open to a different interpretation of what the heart is and why it's there. I love it. I love it. This was blew my mind right now. And that's a great segue. I love that you said, you know, uncover the truth because that's probably our greatest mission here on this show. You know, regardless of whatever topic it is that we're covering, that's our goal. We want to, um, dispel all these myths and uncover the truth, um, about, about certain things. So in the spirit of truth, can you talk to us about aspirin? Here we go. Wabain. Wabain. But Wabain. Well, pronounce Wabain. it that way too. So I don't know. It could be, it could be that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tomato, tomato. So, so aspirin, you know, people, I remember seeing the Bayer commercials on, on, uh, yeah. on TV and they're like, <laughs> if you're having a heart attack, take, take Bayer aspirin and that'll, it's, it's going to save your life or you, you're more likely to, to not die from the heart attack or whatever. And so then I guess it became at some point that if you've had a heart attack or you want to prevent one, you take a baby aspirin every day, you know, for, for your whole life. And, you know, I talk about studies, um, in the book that, that show that it doesn't really affect things. Um, when you, when you take ask people who take it versus ones who don't, but there's also a huge downside to taking aspirin every day. Um, and that is, you know, GI bleeding and, uh, kidney function. And so, you know, I've been, you know, recommended aspirin before by endocrinologists and, and I'm sitting here thinking I'm, I'm type one diabetic. I already got to watch out for my kidneys and you want me to take that every day. Yeah. yeah no. Um, and so the answer is no. Um, but yeah, there's just this, this <laughs> yeah. big, uh, I'll take it under consideration. There's big misunderstanding. <laughs> I think that, and I, and I think that, you know, when all, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so if, if the hammer yeah. you have is, is pharmaceutical drugs, then you find ways to use them. Uh, right. and, uh, even if it doesn't quite make sense, if that's all you know how to do, then that's all you, that's all you know how to do. And so that's why it's important to open up the discussion about, about other yep. things, you know? Um, and then lobbying is, is, um, less well known than aspirin, I'd say. And, um, it's a, it's a plant, um, it's a, and you can get it like the, the seed extract. I think it's the Liana plant, um, or maybe there's an extra element. Maybe it's Liliana plant. I can't remember. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, so wabine is, is something that our body actually makes itself. Uh, the adrenal glands make it. And there's this, there's this, um, saying in, in, uh, Chinese medicine text that the kidneys nourish the heart. And so the adrenal glands are right above the kidneys. And so, you know, however they knew, uh, they, these, uh, the ancient Chinese, uh, med medical experts knew that something around the kidney area was nourishing the heart. And so. Uh, wabine is, is, uh, produced by the adrenal glands and, um, it, uh, it, it has an effect on the heart, uh, and affects the heart more than any other thing in the body. And it it increases the parasympathetic signaling to the heart, 
Um, it's even been shown uh, to, uh, you know, change uh, metabolism, uh, like, you know, more going from more um, uh, glucose burning to more fat burning when we have wobbing. And that's likely due to the, the decrease in, in sympathetic, you know, when you do that, then you're going to burn less, like a muscle is going to burn less glucose. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, there we can actually, it's also made in a plant, which is interesting. And we can extract it from the seed of that plant. And I can hear Paul Saldino saying, oh, plant toxins, plant toxins uh, right now. <laughs> but, um, but I think that, you know, uh, as a general rule, I, I'd say that, you know, using plants as, as certain medicines is, is logical because um, they can have an effect on the body. And if someone's really struggling with, say, angina or, um, you know, they have um, heart disease and trouble with, you know, maybe um, cardiac rhythm, things like that, um, this has been shown to really help, you know? Um, and, you know, I go through in the book, um, I think it's chapter eight, maybe chapter nine. I don't remember about, you know, how we can get a heart attack without a blockage, you know, blockages definitely happen, yeah. but we can get a heart attack without a blockage. And I hadn't really been able to talk to anybody that gave me an explanation of why. So I gave my explanation and kind of ran down the whole thing. And, and it's pretty much, you know, three imbalances that can happen, but it's all kind of set off by this increase in sympathetic signaling to the heart, this stress response. And um, lobbying can help balance that. It can help um, increase that parasympathetic signaling to the heart so that that so it's a, it's a, doesn't it's, happen. It's, a, it's almost like it's like an adaptogen. Mm, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and it's and it's curiously, it's, it's one that the body makes itself. Um, and it's almost like the... Uh, the body kind of knew that the heart would need that, you know, uh, so it started making it itself. Um, and then, you know, obviously this, this plant, I think it's, I think it's, I always forget whether it's Brazil or Africa, but I think it's Africa. And the only place I know how to get it is this like pharmacy place in Brazil that Dr. Cowan gets it from. Um, wow. so it's, it's hard to get. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, there's uh, doctors and there's lots of studies in Germany. Lots of German doctors have researched it. Um, and the, the, um, the outcomes are pretty phenomenal as far as its effect on the heart, which makes sense because the body's making it for that reason. Um, but also, uh, Dr. Cowan, he also, you know, says a lot about how he's used it with his patients, um, and has had zero heart attacks uh, when people are, are on mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, so pretty, pretty interesting stuff. And interesting. I think that it should be looked into way more, um, and utilized way more. Um, but we'll see. I, I just love it because, you know, you, 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 a lot of this cool, these factoids and cool things, I didn't know them until I read your stuff. And, um, and like, you know, the way the heart, the fuel preference of the heart naturally, you know, for fat. And so if you're getting the heart to switch over to a more natural fuel source, hold on one second, we got a little pop up here. Um, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, and so I really love the idea of that. And the other thing is thinking about just how overly uh, stimulated our, our sympathetic nervous system is always. I mean, yeah. we just talked about my, yeah. my HRV. Yeah. Um, you know, like all the screens and all the stress, stress. you know, that, that does seem like a really cool thing to, to look more into. Um, so I, I just wanted one last question. And, and, and I put a, a note because, you know, um, I remember talking to my father about, um, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting his name, the Irish dude. Uh, 
uh, his work on the, uh, the engineer who does Iver Iver Cummins. Yeah, Iver. Iver's Iver's work on you know reversing your CAC, you know, and uh, you know my dad has a, a high CAC and you know it's stable, and that's because he's been mostly ketogenic for the last four or five years, yeah. so that's good. But one of the things is vitamin K, vitamin K, vitamin K, mm -hmm. and um, and then at the same time. COVID-19, the importance of vitamin D. And then, you know, of course, we live in Florida and my dad is definitely no, not averse to being out in the sun. He loves being out on the boat. So he will absorb that vitamin D. But, you know, people forget about the importance of, of K2, you know, for absorption mm -hmm. of vitamin D. And so, you know, I'm just telling him, you know, here are a few things that, that Ivor talks about. And, uh, then his cardiologist comes back and tells him that vitamin K is, you know, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. it's not, yeah. not that it's vasoconstrictive, but more that it's, um, that it does, uh, what do you call it when something causes clotting? Um, Prothrombit, like a pro. Yeah, like a th thrombolytic. Yeah, thrombolytic. Um, yeah. So, so what's the balance with that? And then if you don't mind after that, just talk about ACE2, its relation to COVID-19 and what people should really focus on just in case the gloves and the antibacterial and the masks and the triple masks and the quadruple masks and the anal swabs don't work. <laughs> just um, in case. <laughs> yeah, so uh, case. vitamin K, I get the same thing all the time. I have people take vitamin K too, you know, all the time. And they're like, well, it's going to make my blood clot. And as far as I have seen, vitamin K1 is what kind of is, is involved in that kind of clotting cascade that happens. Um, in your blood, which sometimes needs to happen, but happens too much, we could get some big issues. Um, and K2 is mainly responsible for um, taking minerals and depositing where they need to go. Um, and so we're talking about taking calcium out of arteries or making sure it doesn't end up there in the first place, um, but also magnesium and phosphorus and things like that. Um, then that's incredibly important there. And, you know, I've, I've not seen anything that suggests that um, K2 is going to increase clotting. And there's actually quite a bit of evidence that vitamin K2 um, through the GLA matrix protein is actually going to prevent calcification um, in, in the arteries. So um, two different um, types of vitamin K uh, and that we need to you know be conscious of those. But yeah, I have had um, patients tell me that when I tell them to be on K2 that their cardiologist says, no, 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 you don't want that because that's going to, that's going to, cause a clot. It's almost like you know? they're behind. It's almost like they're a little bit behind yeah, on the reading like, or a little Yeah, they need rusty. they need to they need to do some research and I mean that's with a lot of things. Um there's so many things that I've heard uh a physician or a researcher or somebody say and then I go and look and I was like, well it doesn't really say that, you know? Um uh, there's evidence that the opposite of that is true or whatever. Um yep. yeah and so then um with the ACE inhibitors or with the ACE receptor um yeah, so the, I think that early on, um, I I was, you know, we're looking into COVID and everything. There was definitely the COVID, um, that virus seems to access the, the cell through the ACE2 receptor. Um, and and so, and I did a podcast um, on this with, with Paul Saladino, and we were, we were talking about this and how potentially taking an ACE inhibitor, which is a blood pressure medication, um, can... You know, when it inhibits um, uh, the conversion of angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2, 
because um, it inhibits the ACE enzyme, um, that can be leaving more receptors open um, right. that that potentially a virus like COVID that uses that receptor, that receptor can, can access. Um, and, you know, when wow. we, that kind of, I feel like the, the hype for that kind of died off early on. I don't know what kind of happened to it, but I haven't heard much about it in a sense, um, since it, you know, maybe like March or April or something like that. Um, but I still think it's pretty relevant, uh, to think about cause we're still, and we're ACE, still here. ACE inhibitors are, are those like, um, what, what, uh, just like calming drugs, like, uh, no, probably like blood pressure, like lisinopril. Yeah. Yeah. Lisinopril. Yeah. That's an ACE oh, inhibitor. Yeah. yeah. So but a lot of, a lot of the orchestra people, they'll take ACE inhibitors before they go on stage to, to be chill. Yeah. I so, I mean, I mean, I, I guess the, the thinking is, and what we've just talked about in this whole podcast kind of debunks this, but the thinking is, is that you're going to lower the blood pressure. You're going to take strain off of your heart because you know less blood is going to be coming through when it's like reality whether how much blood's coming through isn't it doesn't uh dictate what how much work the heart does you know um wow. so, uh, so so yeah um it's it's mainly designed to just lower blood pressure because it's so like you have um angiotensin 1 um well you have like the the kidney monitoring you know the the blood pressure um and if it uh decides that it's too low it just creates renin and renin um, goes and it teams up with angiotensinogen, which is made by the liver and it's always floating around. And um, that uh, that those two combine, they make angiotensin one. And then you have an angiotensin converting enzyme that's also floating around in the blood all the time. And when angiotensin one arrives, that converts that to angiotensin two. And then that goes on to the ACE receptors, the ACE two receptors. And that signals the body to do things like constrict the arteries and hold on to fluid to increase blood pressure or to decrease blood pressure. Sorry, let go of fluid um, and all those different things and decrease um, sympathetic so that you're not, you know, tense and everything. So you're decreasing blood pressure. Um, so that's how all that stuff kind of works out. But like I said, if we're, if we're stopping the conversion of ACE1 to ACE2 and there's not ACE2 to go into those receptors, those receptors could be left open for a virus to get in there. Um, by taking these things. Um, and then, you know, people will try and say that that's not happening, but it makes sense physiologically. Um, and there is some some evidence that, that shows that that was the case early on. But like, like I said, it kind of died off and I haven't really seen anything recently about that. Um, but yeah, so, and I think that not only, so what causes high blood pressure, right? Insulin resistance. Okay. So, and that insulin resistance also makes us more susceptible to a poor outcome with, with COVID. So um, not only are people having insulin resistance and making them more susceptible, but then the, the high blood pressure caused by the insulin resistance, the treatment for it is an ACE inhibitor, which could also make them more likely to contract COVID. So it's just like not only is the, the problem the insulin resistance and we're not addressing that, we're doing things that may also increase that, um, increase the, the susceptibility. So... It's all kind of backwards, you know, rather than focusing on fixing the issue, which is the insulin resistance, the metabolic health, um, or doing things that may actually make it worse for them. Right. Well, yeah. One more thing. I mean, like, <laughs> because of, I just, I love this so much. There's so many things like <laughs> fitting together perfectly. Yeah. Like, um, we learn 
people know pharmacology now because of all the drugs that are out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we know what happens when we take like receptor modulators, you know, like drugs that modulate the receptors or that keep the stop the loop or keep the loop going, you know, and and like I think if for anyone who's having a hard time understanding that, like if something's bound, then it's that door is closed. So yeah. COVID doesn't go. Right. So if something's not bound, then COVID is like, you know, it's it's being allowed to spread. And we know that the way this virus was designed, I mean, the way this virus evolved, the way this virus evolved is it, it, it finds the openings. Feels that way too. It, like it, it just, it, it waits for the opportunity. It's a very smart virus, you know, like it's- Very smart. That's why we see these opportunistic infections in so many people. And it affects people. everyone differently, which is- goes to show like we're all different we got it in september in, we had different symptoms and we're all weak in different areas obviously yeah. so it's like because one person will get completely different symptoms than the other yeah yeah so i mean like you said like insulin set. resistance yeah. i mean improve your insulin sensitivity lower your carbs i don't know what else to say i mean it's it's really that's that's yeah and then lifestyle stuff right yeah. like manage your stress as best you can right like that's yeah. really it's, yeah i love that you said that in the beginning because that's literally like Everything else, like for people like us, it's like we've got the diet, we've got the thing. Like I go in the sauna, I do the things. Mm -hmm. It's the stress. Like yeah. I need to manage stress and sleep, and those are the things that. And work out, like walk around, be outside, so that yeah. you, you know, inactivity. I remember Mike Mutzel did a presentation on this, like in 2018, on like I think it was 48 to 72 hours. You started to see. Oh yeah. Pretty severe insulin resistance in the muscles. In from, athletes. Yeah, from traveling, just from just sitting. From traveling, yeah. from so, sitting. like, don't stay home. <laughs> you know, go yes, outside. Exactly. Don't stay inside. Walk yeah. around. Like when I was when I had COVID, I was walking every single day. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at this point, I don't know. Hopefully, it's things are dying down, but it's still people in case because people that adds to the stress too that people are, are afraid. You know, yeah, so exactly. Um, I mean, what else is there? Anything else that you? Uh, I don't. I didn't want to interrupt you. I just get excited. Yeah, I think that. Um, I think that it should be, I don't know if red flag is the right word, but I think that people should sit up and notice when when the conversation is not um, what is the difference between someone who, who dies from COVID or, has, or is hospitalized and someone who has it and it's just, it's like nothing, you know, like what's the difference? Like that, that should be the number one question on everybody's mind yeah. because clearly – the difference could be the answer, you know, and, and it, it just fascinates me that um, people aren't asking that question or they're not wondering it, you know, or they're not asking that from our, um, um, from our politicians and from, you know, the, you know, the, the, um, uh, the people, the head medical people that are talking about this, like, why aren't, why aren't people asking that question? Like, Hey, what's the difference between these people? Why did this person have a bad reaction? This or not. And, and if they do get an answer of, well, it's just the way it is, or we don't know, like, why aren't they saying, well, we should try and figure it out? You know, it's been yeah. a year now almost, it's been a year. Um, plenty of time to try and figure that out. But even then, all the studies coming out are not about that. Um, some of them are, yeah. and I'd like to look at those. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I think that that's what people should be asking, and not just about this, but about heart disease as well. I mean, we should be asking those types of questions. 
what's the difference between someone who you know does all the wrong things their whole life and doesn't get heart disease and and right. and the person who um, gets it you know like what, what's the difference yep so true so true thank you so much for coming on this was yeah. great amazing yeah amazing uh, so last question for you when is the hard copy of your book coming out so that all of our listeners can find out we could put it you know if it, there's any links or anything that we can help um, get the word out and then anything else you know you're working on that you want to let us know and where people can find you online um, so the I don't have a really exact release date today is what's today today is the fourth the fourth and so I'm hoping by the end of next week that I have everything that I can you know I'm just self-publishing I don't have a publisher so um, nice. I just straight at Amazon will be the only place Oh, Amazon. There's a, there's a link at least. It just says, uh, yeah. this is out of print. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I like briefly published it and then took it off so that people could go to that link or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm waiting on a few final things to come in so that I can put it up there. Um, so I'm hoping the end of next week, it should be then. Um, but if not the week after for sure. Oh, um, so kind of mid, mid to, um, late February, uh, oh, it be available. Yeah. Far. Uh, and I'm doing is be paperback and then, uh, ebook. And then I am, you can find me at resourceforhealth.com. That's where I do my blog and health coaching and stuff. Uh, and in social media, um, at uh, Dr. Stephen Hussey. And then as far as I'm working on, I don't know. I kind of finished this and I'm just like, <laughs> uh, just kind of sit back. Um, and uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I well, we are trying to open a, another clinic. So that's probably what's next for me. And oh, then nice. also build um, like a satellite clinic. Um, for our, our chiropractor, I do a chiropractor, you know, and, yes. um, and then, uh, get my, and develop my, uh, my metabolic health and nutrition program at that clinic. Um, I want to do that. And then also hopefully collaborating with people here in Roanoke area, um, to, to, you know, increase awareness of metabolic health, um, through different, uh, there's this place called the Wellness that, uh, is kind of connected to all the health, um, I guess, organizations in Roanoke. And so I'm trying to get in with them to develop a metabolic health program so that we can kind of extrapolate that um, to uh, to the whole city of Roanoke, not just in our clinic. So, yeah. Love it. Seriously, this was awesome, man. So good. I can't wait for people to read the book. Like, I think if in case people, because like when you see Understanding the Heart and then it's like, you know, it's this sounds like this really academic book. It's really interesting to read. Like the stories were brilliant a brilliant addition because i think it's it kept me engaged um and i think it helps inculcate these ideas better so good, uh good. definitely guys it got our recommendation and yes. like and I, I haven't even finished it so um <laughs> yeah I, I definitely thanks again man i appreciate you coming back yeah thanks for having me on i'm just trying to spread the word mm-hmm.